Now, our illustrious worship leader had dark sunglasses on, and he asked me if he thought that would be okay. I said, are you Ray Charles? Nope. <laughs> Stevie Wonder. Nope. <laughs> Ronnie Millsap. Nope. So, no worship, no dark glasses. <laughs> so, anyway, the things we go through around here before we get to This morning we're in 1 Samuel chapter 14, uh, and we'll be talking mostly about discovering or discerning God's will for our lives. One, I think that's probably the most asked question as a pastor I receive. What is God's will for me? I don't know. <laughs> that's between you and the Lord. But there are methods, there are ways we can determine his will. And we're going to look at some of those. But last week we left off with Jonathan and his armor bearer beginning uh, to slaughter the Philistines after they had climbed up this cliff on hands and knees to do the difficult thing. It is not always easy to do the difficult things because our human nature says take the easy path. Don't work harder, work smarter. Huh? <laughs> and we have these little slogans, these little sayings, and many times they're right. But my tendency as a person is to look for God's approval by the ease of circumstance, which may or may not be of the Lord. Jonathan... Saul's son, he puts forth a fleece before God. If the Philistines tell us, stay down where you are, and we will come down to you, to Jonathan, that was saying God is not with us. But if the Philistines say, come up to us, and we will show you something, or we will kill you, then it's of the Lord. <laughs> that was the fleece he had put before the Lord. The challenge that was for Jonathan and his armor bearer is to climb up to this garrison of Philistines. But they knew in their heart that God was with them. But Gideon was the first one to that we know of to quote-unquote, have a fleece before the Lord, which is nothing but a sheepskin. And Gideon makes this uh, commitment to the Lord. And for Gideon, it's life-changing. The decision he has to make will transform his life. And we want God's will on any of our large decisions, but we should be seeking the Lord on our everyday decisions also. But Gideon said, God, if you have called me to save Israel, I want you to confirm that to me. There's nothing wrong with asking God to confirm his will to you. That's not a lack of faith. Lack of faith is once he confirms it, not doing it. <laughs> There's the lack of faith. But Gideon, what does he want? He wants 
do to fall on the fleece, the sheepskin. And if that happens, okay, God, I see that you called me. And have the ground around it now. Have it be dry, Lord. And God does that for Gideon. Then Gideon, not quite content, said that could have been happenstance. That could have been a coincidence. He says, reverse it, Lord. Have the sheepskin dry and the ground around it wet. And God does it. God did not find that uh, presumptuous by Gideon. I don't think, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with determining God's will through confirmation. But once he has confirmed, we either have the choice to act in faith or in doubt. So, asking for a fleece, many consider Old Testament behavior. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps they're right. How we discern the will of God is probably the most tenuous decision we make. Because nobody can tell you what God's will is for you. That's between you and God. And that's why I will almost never answer a person what God's will is for them. Because really, unless God just blatantly tells me what their will, I don't know. <laughs> it's that simple. But we want direct answers on the the things that are questions in front of us. Gideon has had the angel of the Lord tell him, Hey, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you. Gideon says, Okay, if that's true, why am I hiding in a wine press to thresh my wheat? Why am I hiding from the Midianites if I'm a great man of valor? Because God sees the future. God can speak to the future as it's now. And that's the beauty of our Lord. Any fleece that Gideon made, even the wet and dry and so forth, but he, he has God clearly speaking to him. And then we come to Jonathan in our text. Jonathan had separated himself from his father, Saul. Jonathan asked God to be with him in battle against the Philistines. And Jonathan asked God to confirm his will to him by giving him the difficult thing to do. Climb up to the Philistines, high up on the cliff. If they call us up, that's of you, Lord. Now, we don't usually do that, do we? We want ease of circumstance. Lord, if you want me to buy this new big screen TV, have a parking place open in the front of Best Buy. And you circle a building till the, the parking lot spot comes open. That's not God's will. <laughs> That's you forming God into giving you what you want. But Jonathan wants God to tell him to do the difficult. And they do it through my enemy, Lord. Wow. There's faith there. Jonathan wants God to speak through their enemy to tell him what to do. And God does. I'm more inclined 
to venture out in faith like Gideon did. <laughs> but then I catch myself being a wimp. I don't want to be a wimp before the Lord. And we're told that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and sometimes I want everything spelled out before I act. But there's no faith involved. But we all, to the person, want God to speak to us clearly what his will is. Jonathan is so desperate for the will of God to be in his life that he puts his life on the line. Don't you know God had to be pleased with Jonathan in that? Jonathan didn't say, you know, have him come down to me and we'll kill him one at a time. No, he said, have me and my armor bearer climb that cliff into their camp if you're giving us the Philistines. He put his life on the line. But his armor bearer, he's as... He's, he's my hero, too. He says, Jonathan, you do all that is in your heart. He had the encouragement of his armor bearer. You do it. I'm with you. Have you ever prayed for God's will and get no answer? <laughs> yeah, just about every time I pray for it. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why God's will seems hidden or is obscure. One, it may be a lack of faith on our part. But Jonathan and Gideon both have their fleece before God. God, if you'll do this, I know it's your will. God answers every sincere prayer that we pray. If we ask one condition with a pure heart, expecting him to answer, there's the requirement. Ask in honesty, ask with a pure heart, and then wait for his answer. Saul's biggest problem, he wouldn't wait for God. God removed him as king. When I was coming out of a Pentecostal background as a young man, I started attending a Lutheran church. They're, they're a lot different than Pentecostals. But I was directed by God to go to this Lutheran church, and it was in Southern California. And when I look back upon it, I realized that God needed to show me a few things about what I call high church, where the church services are regimented, where they're... Uh, responsive readings and the Apostles Creed and the Nicene Creed is uh, recited and uh, they have communion every Sunday. We're having it this morning though. And, and it was good for me to see it. And here was an ordered structure of a worship service and it was beautiful. I really thrived on it for a while. But our pastor of this little church plant was fresh out of seminary and he was pastoring this church as a mission church type thing when God saved him. He'd been through seminary, graduated, pastoring a church and he got saved. Well, I'm glad he got saved. <laughs> 
But there was one thing that he did. Every Sunday he preached salvation. He was so delighted with his conversion that he knew Jesus personally that every Sunday we got salvation. That was his, you know, and uh, and that happens with a person that's kind of evangelical in their outlook. They want everybody to get saved, which I agree with that. But him preaching salvation every Sunday, it's hard to sometimes get growth within a body. But in time, as the Lord would have it, they appointed me as an elder in this little church. And they give me the youth. I was in charge of the youth to teach them their catechism and so forth. I wish I had those youth for a year or so here. I'd like to do it over again. <laughs> I made every mistake you can make. Uh, just give me one more chance with them, Lord. But in the Lutheran church, they have a sacrament, and it's called infant baptism. And they believe infant baptism for regeneration or salvation. Our pastor, our young pastor that got saved coming out of seminary, was firm, very firm in baptizing babies, infants. And I held the opinion, be baptized for sure, but be old enough to know what you're doing. And I had several discussions with our pastor about that. And I pointed out his own life, how he had been saved after graduating from seminary. After living his entire life as a Lutheran, he got saved. Well, we differed on that. <laughs> but I tried my best not to cause trouble, you know. So I began to make the issue of infant baptism a matter of prayer in my own life. And the Lord, I think, gave me a small epiphany. And while I was praying about this, and while I was meditating on this issue of infant baptism, I clearly had God ask me a couple of questions. It wasn't audible, but I knew he was asking me questions. And the first question he asked me was, how does a person believe unto salvation, Don? That's a good question. <laughs> My answer, you got to believe in your heart. And then he said, to who are you to say that that infant doesn't believe in their heart? And I was busted. God took me to show me the other side because I had questions. Now, I still hold to know what you're doing to be baptized. So if you want me to baptize you, you've got to be at least knowing what's going on. <laughs> but, I, but he showed me the other side of the issue. And I'm, I'm grateful that he did. So... Not able to convince him to not baptize infants, I asked him if he would baptize me. <laughs> because as an adult, I had no recollection, no memory of being baptized as a child. Now, my mother said I had been baptized. 
I didn't remember it if I was. So I asked him to baptize me, and he did. And he was, uh, you know, faithful to do that. But back to Gideon and Jonathan. Getting an answer from God was so important to them that they based their life upon it. Gideon will go on, defeat the Midianites. Jonathan will go on and battle the Philistines. But they put their life on the line once God had showed them his will. So how do we approach that today? I ask all the time for God to show me his will. I need to know his will. To pastor this church, I need to know God's will, especially for me. But here's the thing. I never try to tell him how to show me his will. God, you show me your will any way you please. You can get my attention any way you want, any way you choose. But I want you to do this. Once you show me your will, I want you to give me a piece about it. And if you give me a piece about it, I will act upon it. Kind of a promise between God and myself. If you'll show me your will and you give me a piece about it, I won't ask somebody else what they think. I will act upon your will. And here's the thing. I am totally convinced God desires to show each and every one of us his will. It's not some ambiguous thing. He doesn't want to hide it from us. But sometimes I think he holds back his answer to us. Why would God do that? Why would he hold back showing us his will? Unless he knows how fickle we are. Mm -hmm. Unless he knows our doubting heart. Maybe God wants us to pay complete attention to him. When, he, when we pray, God, show me what to do. Maybe he wants a sincerity of heart in that prayer. One important thing about God's will, and I have to say this, God's will is never contrary to his word or scripture. He will never tell you to do something that is against scripture. So you can always verify it. Does this glorify God, and is it not against Scripture? And if it's not against Scripture, go with the peace God gives you. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit acting in your heart and life to give you that peace. King Saul, his biggest flaw, in my opinion is he had Samuel, the prophet of God, as an advisor. And he would not listen to him. He would not do as Samuel said do. We, as a body of Christ, can be like iron sharpening iron. God can use you and he can use me to speak into lives, to speak words of encouragement, even sometimes without knowing it, direct somebody into God's will. So 
that was sermon one. Now we'll get to our text. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to get there. 1 Samuel 14, 15 through 23. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was the multitude melting away, and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here, for at that time the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened, while Saul talked to the priest, that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then, then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled, and they went to the battle, and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with, with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. In verse 15 of chapter 13, we read how Samuel departed Saul after telling him the Lord has took the kingdom from you. But Saul, he hears this commotion in the Philistine camp. And he wants to know who is fighting against the Philistines. And surprisingly, Saul calls roll and it's his own son. Jonathan and his armor bearer are the only ones missing. Saul then calls for the Ark of the Covenant. And Saul is talking with the priest, still desiring to know what to do, or quote-unquote, the will of God. Samuel has departed. He's left Saul, and Saul calls for the ark to be brought in, and he turns to the priest, and he asks them, you know, what's going on? But things are happening fast there with Saul in the camp of the Philistines, there's a great uproar. They're turning on one another in this great confusion and this uproar. And Saul can't even wait for the priest to give him an answer. And he says, remove your hand. And Saul goes to battle. The Lord is giving Israel a great victory that day. But it's primarily is through Jonathan and his armor bearer. And we say that the Lord caused a great earthquake quake to come in great confusion among the Philistines and here's Saul and he's not part of it and he's impatient Israel they're encouraged they're coming out of their hiding places and this great victory that is being done by Jonathan his son and the Lord it's bypassing Saul now if you're a king if you've been 
anointed as Israel's protector, you gotta appear that you're willing to fight for your nation anyway. But in verse 23 we read, so the Lord saved Israel that day. It was a God thing. But Saul, he's desperate. He's got to look good in front of his troops, in front of his bodyguards, in front of Israel. Because he's heard Samuel, the prophet, say to him, God will remove you this day. Your kingdom will not continue. And Saul is a desperate man. And he's out of control. And we'll look deeper into Saul in the following verses next week. But this morning, we're going to partake of communion. Communion is a special time. Jesus told the disciples and us, do this in remembrance of me. So the first thing we're doing here, we're being obedient to the Lord. We're doing this, partaking of communion, in remembrance of Jesus. Communion, we can have mixed feelings about it. We're one, we're somber, we're sober, we're grateful for what the Lord did for us. You know, on the other hand, we're glad that he did. We're glad that he suffered and went for the, to the cross for our forgiveness. So we have mixed emotions. I would only say approach the communion table with reverence. Just do it with reverence. You can be happy or you can be sad. That doesn't mean you're being irre irreverent. There we go. Got it up. So what we'll do, we're going to have you come up, come by the table, get the elements, go back to your seat, and we'll all partake together. So hold your elements, hold the bread, Hold the Jews until we all, and then we will pray over them. So if y'all will stand up and come on by, and then you, and then you, and then you, and we will do this.